Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Okay, gang. So it is the last week of May already. Incredible how quickly time goes. You know, not when you're five and six and you're waiting to turn ten and hit those double digits, then time just drags on and on and on. But the older you get, or at least the older I get, the faster it just, I mean, I don't even know what happened in the month of May, let alone like January, February, March, and April. How is it 2021? How am I this old? Anyway, I don't know where that was going. Probably nowhere. We're going to cover a a couple different things today, Uh, starting, of course, with the tragedy uh, that happened at the Santa Clara Valley Transportation uh, Authority earlier this week. We had nine people who were uh, murdered by a public transit employee who opened fire on his co-workers uh, on Wednesday, the shooter also took his own life. It uh, There isn't a whole lot of information available at this point when we're recording the podcast. Uh, for those of you listening over the weekend, we may know a lot more by then, but for those of you listening to the podcast prior to our weekend release, uh, the Santa Clara, Santa Clara County Sheriff uh, said that the dead were found in two different buildings, and they believe that the shooter went from building to building. He had two semi-automatic handguns. Uh, 11 loaded magazines. He said he was very deliberate, very fast. He knew where the employees uh, would be, and he planned this around the time of a shift change when there would be most people there. They also uh, said that he set his house on fire, and it appeared as if he was trying to make it blow up at the same time that this shooting was happening. And I'm I'm not going to get into into all of this. They haven't released a motive yet. However, you do have a, uh, a former, an, an ex-wife who has come forward and said that uh, they were divorced, I believe, in 2005, and that he had a bad temper, that he would come home and tell her that he wanted to kill people at work. She said that she never believed him, never happened until now. She said that he would come home from work angry about things that happened every day, that when he would vent, he would just become more angry, and that she would be fearful when he lost his temper and believed that he could physically hurt others and uh, that he had been treated for depression. So again, as of our recording of this podcast, we don't have any more information available regarding that shooting, except that there were two handguns involved, one shooter that he did take his own life, um, that according to multiple women who knew him well, that he had a history of anger, that they were afraid of his potential violence. But beyond that, we really don't have a lot of information at this point. Our hearts go out, our thoughts and prayers go out to the families of those whose lives were lost in these, uh, in this tragic, uh, event in California yesterday or on, uh, on Wednesday rather. And just wanted to start there. I, I 
I've actually been surprised at how little I've seen that covered in the news. I don't know if it's because he used handguns instead of uh, assault, quote-unquote, weapons. But uh, I, I'm not sure why that hasn't been as publicized. And because, of course, Newsom, the governor, is saying that we need to deal with the epidemic of gun violence more so than we need to deal with the pandemic of coronavirus. So it is it is being talked about, but just wanted to make you all uh, aware of that shooting and some of the information that we have if you did not know or had not uh, seen that. On Thursday, the president, that would be today for those of you listening live, not live, yes, well, to the podcast. Uh, the president today is proposing his $6 trillion budget. $6 trillion. This, this proposal, if passed, which with Democrats in charge of both branches, it's hard to see that this would not pass, but this budget would take the United States to the highest level of sustained federal spending since World War II and run deficits above $1.3 trillion throughout the next decade. Literally 10 years worth of unbelievable levels of deficit. $6 trillion in the 2022 fiscal year, total spending to rise to $8.2 trillion by 2031. Oh, boy. He says that he's going to fund this by raising taxes on corporations and high earners and that the budget deficits would actually shrink in the 2030s. Administration officials say that the Jobs and Families Plan will be fully offset by tax increases over the course of 15 years. You know, and, and any time that a politician tells us this, Regardless of, I'm not even talking Democrats, Republicans, I'm just saying when the government, regardless of what political party's letter comes after their name, when, when federal officials say, oh, we're going to spend this money, but don't worry, we can pay for it. There, there's, <laughs> let me put it this way, there's never been a politician who stood up and said, I want to spend $8 trillion. However, what I want to do is actually going to cost $15 trillion, and I don't know how we're going to pay for that, so we're just going to go more into debt to make that happen. Nobody ever says that. But if every politician who told us, don't, this is all, it's all good, everything's going to work out, it's all going to be fine because I can pay for this with my plan, all of them say that. If it was true, we would not have the debt and deficit that you currently see in our country. Okay, this just isn't, tr it's not sustainable. Inflation alone will make this plan a moot point in a matter of years, if not arguably months. The total debt held by the public, if this goes through, would more than exceed the annual value of economic output. We will have 117% of the size of the economy in 2031. By 2024, that's only three years from now, by the end of Biden's first term, our debt as a share of our economy would be the highest it's ever been in American history, eclipsing the World War II era record. I mean, this is, this is, this is irresponsible, guys. This is just, I don't even know how to put into words how bad of an idea this is.
Okay? This is like this is like you saying, "Okay, for the next 10 years, I have committed to I I'm going to I'm going to have this amount of money coming in." It I <laughs> I'm going to make $50,000 for the next 10 years. But I'm going to spend $75,000 every year for the next 10 years, and then don't worry, because at that point, then things will start to straighten out. Now, I understand that you have to spend money to make money in business and things like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you personally did this, you would be in jail at the end of 10 years, okay? Nobody's going to put up with this. You don't walk into a restaurant and order $50 worth of food and say, ah, you know what, I'm going to give you 30 but don't worry, in 10 years, this is all going to work out. Just, uh, no, this doesn't work. So let me put it in some more dignified terms. The American Enterprise Institute, self-described as a public policy think tank dedicated to defending human dignity, expanding human potential, and building a safer and freer world, says this. They have an article uh, from Desmond Lockman, one of their fellows, on their website, AEI.org. The headline is Inflation and Debt. Biden has a budget problem that won't be easy to fix. And this was before, written just a few days ago, prior to Biden's release of his plan. And I'm just going to read you parts of this. Mr. Lockman wrote, President Joe Biden's bold budget proposals must raise serious questions about the country's economic future. Not only do they raise immediate inflationary concerns, they also raise concerns about the country's long-run debt sustainability. In his first 100 days in office, Mr. Biden has come up with three very large budget proposals at an estimated total cost of a staggering $6 trillion or close to 30% of GDP. First, he rushed through Congress a $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan stimulus package. Now he is proposing an American Jobs Plan aimed at improving the country's infrastructure and an American Families Plan to address social issues, each with price tags of close to $2 trillion. The inflationary consequences of the American Rescue Stimulus Package can be gauged by comparing it to the estimated degree to which U.S. output currently falls short of the level that it could potentially reach at full employment. The American Rescue Stimulus, together with the December 2020 bipartisan stimulus package, would imply that this year the economy will receive around 13% of GDP in budget stimulus. Yet according to the bipartisan Congressional Budget Office, the country's so-called output gap is only 3%. Uh-huh. I'm going to skip down a little bit, but this is an excellent article that you should go and read. Uh, and he, he outlines different aspects of each one of these plans. And then continues with this. The way in which Mr. Biden plans to finance his family's plan could also add to long-run inflationary pressure. While Mr. Biden proposes to finance this plan through tax increases, he has made clear that this will not involve any tax increase on those earning less than $400,000 a year. He has also argued that taxing the wealthy will not change their spending habits. Yet if taxing the wealthy does not change their spending habits, it means that there also will not be any offset to the increase in aggregate demand associated with the increased public spending on his family's plan. 
Beyond adding to immediate inflationary pressure, Mr. Biden's budget proposals will complicate the Federal Reserve's task of keeping inflation in check over the longer run. It will do so by substantially increasing the size of the public debt. Even before Mr. Biden's budget proposals... The Congressional Budget Office estimated that the U.S. public debt would rise to almost 110% of GDP by 2030 or to a higher level than prevailed immediately after the Second World War. After Mr. Biden's budget proposals, the public debt will rise to even more troubling troubling levels. As the public debt rises, the Fed's ability to flight inflation would become increasingly constrained. With a high public debt level, the Fed would be under tremendous political pressure not to raise interest rates to fight inflation since higher interest rates would increase the government's debt servicing costs and limit the room for other government expenditures. One has to hope that the Biden administration will soon adopt sounder policies to finance its ambitious public spending programs that he has been proposing to date. If not... We should resign ourselves to having to live with higher inflation for many years to come. So let's talk about this. Inflation is kind of a big deal. Inflation hits your wallet. You know what inflation doesn't do? Inflation doesn't increase your paycheck. Inflation decreases the worth of what you are paid. Inflation essentially decreases your worth. It decreases the value of your home by raising the prices of everything else. It decreases the value of your retirement account by raising the prices of everything else. Okay? So the, the, what in, inflation does is it affects affects the value of money. It decreases the value of a dollar. Essentially, uh, the money that you have available to you today is worth more than that same amount of money will be in a future date. So if you ever watched an old movie, you have a little bit of an idea of how inflation. You could watch an old movie, and uh, they go to a restaurant, and they pay 40 cents for their for their burger and fries. 40 cents. Now today, if you go to the diner for that same burger and fries, which probably honestly isn't as good as it was in the 1940s, you're, <laughs> you're going to pay, you know, seven, eight bucks. And that's on the cheap side of things. Now, you might say, well, but that's over like, you know, um, you're talking like almost 100 years. Sure, right, exactly. Inflation happens, and generally it happens slowly over time. But we are seeing an accelerating rate of inflation. Because inflation, as it increases the price of goods and services over time, it decreases, essentially, the number of of goods and services that you can buy with a dollar in the future as opposed to what you can buy with your dollar today. You might see that you know, at the gas pump. You might see that at the grocery store. You might see that when you're buying a home. In fact, we are seeing the effects of inflation everywhere throughout our society today. What economists are saying is that if Biden's $6 trillion plan goes through, the inflation that we see today will continue, grow, and increase over the next several years. And on one hand, you might think, oh, that's cool, I can sell my house and make a ton of money. Yes, except that quote-unquote ton of money that you have now is worth less than it was six months ago, a year ago. And if you turn around to try to buy another house 
you're going to find that the market will be unkind to you as a buyer because now homes, the, the, the value of a home is inflated, if you will. <sighs> we're, we're devaluing our money with this budget proposal. If, if, if your apple costs a dollar today, one year from today, same apple might cost two dollars. Now, I don't know of any apples that cost a dollar. I'm just trying to use a simple analogy. Essentially, the value of your money is decreasing because it will cost you twice as much to purchase the exact same thing just a short time from now. Okay, I think I have, uh, I don't want to say beaten this dead horse with a stick because that's just that's such a horrible phrase. I wonder where it came from, actually. Let's look it up, shall we? It's my podcast. We can take a, uh, we can make a deviation and then a U-turn. Uh-huh. Very interesting. First appeared in print in 1859 in the report of a UK parliamentary debate. Possibly John Bright. Possibly, <coughs> excuse me, um, where is it? Francis... Wemyss Chartis Douglas, the 8th Earl of Wemyss and 6th Earl of March, better known as Lord Elko. Let's just uh, name him Lord Elko then. Uh, in Hansard's Parliamentary Debates, Volume 153, 1859, we find, If the Honorable Member for Birmingham, John Bright, had been present, he would have asked the Honorable Gentleman, Lord Elko, whether he was satisfied with the results of his winter campaign. It was notorious that he was not, and a saying was attributed to him that he was flogging a dead horse. It's apparently the earliest usage of the phrase. It was made popular because in the mid-19th century, uh, the practice of beating horses to make them go faster was often viewed as acceptable, whereas to beat a dead horse would be pointless as because it would not be able to go anywhere anyway. Interesting. Never thought about it before. Now you know. So I'm not going to continue on the talk of inflation. You get what inflation is. You get, hopefully, how inflation can affect you. But to complicate matters further, it's not just inflation that we're having a problem with right now. We are also having supply shortages uh, across the board as a result, largely, of COVID. But also just some things are harder uh, to find. We are seeing that in China, many manufacturers are not expanding their operations. Uh, sales, for example, for Eric Lee's factory, according to Yahoo Finance, they make glass lampshades for companies including Home Depot. Their sales have doubled their pre-pandemic level, but they're not going to expand. A reticence that could slow the pace of China's economic growth this year and prolong a shortage of goods being felt around the world as demand picks up. Then you have raw materials, prices surging. So the cost of lumber, you've probably seen those memes, jokes on Facebook, on Twitter, you know, of a truck full of lumber driving down the road and have a caption like, when did this guy become a millionaire or something like that. 
because the prices of goods and services have increased greatly. It's a combination of higher input prices, uncertainty about exportation uh, issues and prospects, and a weak recovery in domestic consumer demand uh, from January to April. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to glean some. Wait, that doesn't make sense. I'm just going to read the read the read a paragraph here from Yahoo Finance. The combination of higher input prices, uncertainty about export prospects, and a weak recovery in domestic consumer demand meant Chinese manufacturing investment from January to April was 0.4% below the same period in 2019, according to official statistics. Due to the vast size of China's manufacturing sector, that poses a risk both to the nation's growth, which is currently predicted to reach 8.5% in 2021, according to a Bloomberg tally of economists' estimates, and to a global economy that's grappling with shortage supply Short supply shortages and rising prices. So basically, China, what's happening in China affects you. What's happening in China affects the amount that you spend on various goods and services. And what you may have heard about happening in China was this thing called the coronavirus, which now apparently it is perfectly acceptable to question whether perhaps the coronavirus originated in a lab in China, uh, whereas just one over one short year ago, this was or less than a year ago. Wow. Oh my goodness. It seems so long ago. Less than a year ago, it was considered uh, racist and uneducated to dare to suggest that this might possibly be a thing. But it's not just shortages in lumber and, so, and, and goods that we, that we are experiencing here in this country as a result of what's happening around the world. We are very much a global economy. Another reason to shop local, shop U.S., shop businesses that are United States-based. Yes, it will be more expensive, but in the long run, it will help everybody out if we bring more here and do less from China. Now... As I talked about last week, we also have a problem when it comes to unemployment and getting people back to work. According to Fox 5 in New York, a Florida McDonald's was offering $50 just if you would show up for a job interview. Their Tampa location is owned by the Casper's Company, has dozens of McDonald's franchises in Florida, and despite the free money being offered, the restaurant was still reportedly having trouble finding people to staff their restaurant. And I mean, yeah, McDonald's isn't like the best place to work, perhaps. But the franchise owner, according to Business Insider, described the situation as a perfect storm. The business was booming, but they are understaffed. Blake Gasper said, you've got a lot of people with a lot of money and they're out there shopping. And then on the flip side, we're scrambling for help. What I want to know is why all these people with a lot of money are going to McDonald's, but okay, whatever. Surprisingly, according to Fox 5, the $50 offer reportedly hasn't attracted many applicants. Casper did say, however, that other hiring efforts have worked well, including referral programs, hiring bonuses, and allowing people to apply via text message. He also said that he has raised starting wages to attract more workers. A sign outside the restaurant now says, get hired today, $11.50 an hour. You put out a sign, $50, just to do an interview. You don't have to, just just come for an interview, we'll give you 50 bucks. And people still didn't show up. So another McDonald's has upped its game. 
There is a McDonald's in... Where is this? Hang on, hang on, hang on. Altamont, Illinois. This, there is a sign in the window at a McDonald's in Altamont, Illinois, and it says, Now hiring. Free iPhone. Free iPhone! Come work for us. We will give you an iPhone. Now, there is a little bit of small print at the bottom. After six months employment, and you meet employment criteria. Work at McDonald's for six months. Get a free iPhone. Wow. This, uh, this tweet, by the way, has gone viral. The, from police that, the people that shared this, uh, this sign. <sighs> the service industry has been and is facing a worker shortage. So we've got supply shortages. We've got worker shortages. We had Chick-fil-A sauce shortages. Now we have chicken wing shortages. According to CBS4 in Denver, some Denver area restaurants are removing items from menus or even temporarily closing because they don't have enough chicken wings. King of Wings, a restaurant in Denver, was prepared to close on Wednesday night if its shipment of wings didn't arrive before the dinner rush. A lot of nervousness. This chicken shortage has been going on a while, and it hasn't caught up to us, but it finally did, said Eddie Renshaw, co-owner of King of Wings. These just got here, so we were supposed to receive our order at 9.30 this morning. Unfortunately, it didn't come until 3.30. We had a limited amount of wings to start the day. On Monday, the popular restaurant in Wheat Ridge closed because of a wing shortage. Demand is so high that a shipment that arrived on Tuesday and should have lasted a few days was nearly gone. Renshaw said it's not just a quantity issue, but also quality. You see broken bones, huge wings next to small wings. Our supplier says this is the worst it's been in 30 years, and we're seeing it. It all comes back to COVID. When COVID hit, they were producing too much. So, they cut back on the chickens producing, and now they're needing to bump up production. Wow. The restaurant heard the shortage could last through the summer, so they're continuing to operate on a short-term basis. So, now you have an issue of not only can restaurants not hire workers because of unemployment and things that we have put in place as policy as a result of COVID, but now we are seeing actual shortages of food, actual shortages in the supply chain of our food because of the way our culture changed for COVID. See, COVID will have long-term effects that many people were predicting last year and were told that they were crazy that they were out of touch, that they didn't know what they were talking about, that they needed to be fact-checked. <laughs> but now we're seeing it. And the president of Microsoft is saying that Orwell's 1984 could happen sooner than later. He was speaking to uh, this guy named Brad Smith, is apparently Microsoft's president. He was talking to BBC's Panorama, and he said that it's going to be difficult to catch up with rapidly advancing technology. 
If we don't enact the laws that will protect the public in the future, we are going to find the technology racing ahead, and it's going to be very difficult to catch up, Mr. Smith said. I'm constantly reminded of George Orwell's lessons in his book 1984. You know the fundamental story was about a government who could see everything that everyone did and hear everything that everyone said all the time. Well, that didn't come to pass in 1984, but if we're not careful, that could come to pass in 2024. Now, China is already basically living in Orwell's 1984. China had a set of goals to become the world leader in artificial intelligence by 2030, and many technology gurus around the world say that they are far beyond the capabilities of the European Union, that the United States is even struggling uh, to keep track with them. In 2019, China beat us with the number of patents they had secured uh, by their academic institutions for innovation in AI technologies. 54% of the world's 770 million CCTV cameras are in China. Eric Schmidt, former, former chief executive at Google, now the chair of the U.S. National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, warns that beating China in AI is imperative. He told the BBC, We are in a geopolitical strategic conflict with China. The way to win is to marshal our resources together to have national and global strategies for the democracies to win in AI. If we don't, we will be looking at a future where other values will be imposed on us. Well, isn't this just a happy little podcast today? <laughs> you know, when I came in to record, I was like, I don't I don't know what I'm going to talk about this week. That seems to be happening a lot lately actually because I'm like, I don't want to talk about COVID again. I you know, I don't I, but like there's not like a a, a a topic that I have in mind and then I get into the office I'm like all right well let me just see what's happening in the world and then I'm like oh yeah we could talk about this oh and that would lead into this oh and that would lead to this over here and now you have it we have a full podcast about the terrible things happening in the world but there's something there's something that uh, I, I love Prager University Dennis Prager is amazing uh, he has just such a great way of simplifying and explaining big concepts in a way that's easy to understand. And Prager University tweeted out, uh, I think it was on Wednesday, and I, I just, I love this. And he did a video on this, and you can go and watch it. But their tweet said this, said, as fewer and fewer people perceive the world in terms of good and evil, substituting a power, race, or class compass for a moral compass, you will inevitably get more evil and more hatred of the good, beginning with Israel and America and ending with Western civilization. That is so good. I'm going to read it one more time. They said, as fewer and fewer people perceive the world in terms of good and evil, substituting a power, race, or class compass for a moral compass, you will inevitably get more evil and more hatred of the good, beginning with Israel and America and ending with Western civilization. Now, Dennis Prager did a video on this. It's excellent. You can go and watch it. It's called How the Left Sees the World Race Power Class really really good 
And he talks about how those, how, how our, our culture is shifting, how we don't determine right and wrong based on good and evil, but have a, how we've adopted a, a Marxist mindset of, uh, of, of elimination of a moral compass and uh, replacing it with a compass based on status, skin color, and wealth. And the dangers that that poses for our society and how that shift in compass, shift in where we obtain and view our values is underlying and driving the, the push to the left and the push to communism. And a lot of times we talk about uh, communism from an economic uh, standpoint or you know, communism versus capitalism, but I thought that Prager's talk on this was really, really excellent, how it really, at the heart of the issue, it's a shift in what determines our values and what becomes our, our culture's moral compass. Is it good and evil as a moral compass, or is it a compass of power, race, and class? Really, really good. I encourage you to go and watch it. If you haven't already. And then, you know, take a look at your own life. Take a look at what it is that you're sharing on social media. What it is that you're teaching your children. What it is that you're watching. What it is that you're reading. Are you falling sway to our culture's changing tide of replacing the moral compass that has guided what we have done? The moral compass of good and evil, the moral compass of right and wrong, the moral compass, quite frankly, of biblical values. Have you allowed your moral compass to be overshadowed by a compass that focuses on power or race or class? Or maybe a combination of all three? Is what God says is right and wrong what is driving the way you view the world? Or is it what man says? Is it what the news says? Is it what quote-unquote science says? Which, you know, the science that was last year is now the science that is not this year. In fact, I was very encouraged to see just uh, yesterday that there is a, uh, a new study out about how uh, coronavirus, if you had coronavirus, the antibodies from having the disease could be as strong as antibodies you could receive from the vaccination. Shocking, that. People who suggested that antibodies from actually having the virus were as good as or possibly better than those they would get in a vaccination were laughed to scorn not long ago. I mean, the, the flip-flopping all over the place on this whole science and fact-checking thing with COVID, with... I, okay. Nope, I would start another I would start another rant and ramble and I'd have time for it today. So I will just say this. How's your compass? What's determining where your compass points and where your compass leads? Because that will determine your life, your values, your family. And quite honestly, <laughs> when it boils down to it, there, what's determining your compass? is probably a really good indication of what's determining your eternal security and your forever destination. Because if you believe that the Bible is true, then you know that the Bible says that Jesus is God. 
that Jesus is God in human flesh, that he came to this world, lived a perfect life, died a sinless death, so that anyone who believes on him believes that he's the son of God, that he paid the punishment that we deserve, that he took the sin consequences that we deserved, taking our sins upon himself, dying on the cross, and that three days later he rose from the dead, proving that he's God, that if we believe that and we call upon him and ask him to be our Lord and our Savior, that our relationship with God in that moment is restored. That in our sinful state we're separated from God, and separated from God leads to an eternity of separation from God. But a relationship with Jesus is a relationship reunited with the Heavenly Father. And a relationship with Jesus on earth equals an eternity of a relationship in heaven with our Savior and with our God. And that's the most important thing I could tell you today. That's the most important thing that anybody could tell you today. That you can know for sure that you're going to heaven, that it's not hard, it's not complicated. All you have to do is believe. And you might say, well, I need to know more about this. And I can point you to a bunch of different websites, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to point you to different videos. I'm not even going to tell you anymore. If you want to know, then go read about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read all four of the Gospels. It won't take you very long. If you're an intellectual type, you probably do a lot of reading anyway. So just go read it. Don't read what people say about it. Read what Jesus says about himself. Read what Jesus did. Read how Jesus lived. And then, when you're all done with those, if you have questions, give us a call if you want. 702-647-4522 is the number for Liberty Baptist Church, and any one of our pastors will be more than happy to share with you more about how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. And that's all the time that I have left for today. Thanks so much for being with us. I appreciate you being here. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcast, and we will see you here same time, wherever you're listening, (laughs) same way next week.